The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. My name is Brian, and I am one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be back. It was last week I was hunting with my dad in Missouri, white-tailed deer. We, uh, I got my first bow kill, which was awesome. I was very excited about that. Sorry to you animal lovers. There was no pain involved, I swear to you. Um, great time away. I got to listen to Pastor Josh's sermon last week, just talking about the talk. And uh, we've been in this series, Sex Lies, and so he's talking about how this, the talk should be this ongoing conversation between parents and their kids, between us and each other. And Josh just did a great job of sharing that. And I am just, I'm so grateful for the leaders that we have in this church, you guys. There are so many really talented, gracious uh, people who just have a heart for God and a heart for the gospel. And so I'm um, thankful to be working with them. Um, coming up next week, we're going to be starting our new series. You guys ready for Christmas? It's coming. Uh, it doesn't feel like Christmas. There's no snow on the ground. So unless you're in Buffalo, which just is crazy, five feet of snow in that place, uh, they've got all the snow. Um, but it's coming. I'm trying to be appreciative this week, Thanksgiving week, be thankful that it's not 13 below and six feet of snow on the ground. It will, it will be here. So just relax. It's coming. But uh, anyway, we'll be starting our new series called God in the Manger. It'll be our Christmas series. And we're really excited about that. We're going to decorate this place out, get some Christmas decorations up, and uh, just celebrate together for that season. And then Christmas Eve is really coming together, you guys. We're really excited. We've got all the details for that pretty well lined out. And so you guys... Even now, start thinking about who you're going to bring to Christmas Eve. It's, it's one of those times of the year that people are really open to coming to church. And uh, so make sure you're utilizing that opportunity, uh, inviting some friends, bringing them. And, and then throughout the Christmas season, just a great chance to bring your friends to church, just to hear about the risen king, uh, to hear about this little baby who comes for all of humanity. And so really excited about that coming. This week, we are finishing up our Sex Lies series. I just want to say thanks for sticking with us. It has been awkward, and uh, in a lot of good ways. I've just heard of really good conversations happening in all of our life groups, very difficult conversations. We keep hearing testimonies and stories of people just able to share some brokenness and some things that they haven't shared ever. And so lots of really good things happening through this open conversation. Um, So this last week, we're talking about what I told myself. Each week we've been talking about the different input that we've gotten about our sexuality from our culture, uh, things we've heard from our parents. And and this week we're talking about, we're finishing out with what do we think now? What are the things that you tell yourself about sex? Are there lies or misconceptions that you have inside of yourself that we need to pick apart? Um, Sometimes what we end up with... If we, if we don't have a right perspective is we end up with outcomes that we didn't, we didn't want. And we end up making decisions that we didn't want to make. And have you ever been in a situation where you're, you're shooting for one thing and you end up getting something completely different? You know, you thought you were making the right choice. You thought that you had the best thing in mind and, and end up, ended up with something completely different. Um, I love the Food Network. Any Food Network people? 
I love the Food Network. I watch it at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, and, and it just makes you want to go raid the refrigerator because you're just getting so hungry watching all these things. And there are these shows where they look up like the best steak in America, you know, or the best burger in America. And I was watching one of these shows a little while back. It's about the best burger in America. They were going around to all of these fast food joints and uh, little, little hole-in-the-wall stores that were selling burgers. And one of these places were making these little slider burgers. And they had these little square buns with a bunch of holes punched in them. Have you guys ever heard of the place? Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? What's the restaurant? White Castle Burgers. I'd never been to one, never heard of one before, but I, my mouth is just watering watching this. The, the cheese is dripping off this thing. The holes are supposed to absorb all the smoky goodness, you know, from, from being grilled. And so I'm up late at night. I'm watching this, this show about White Castle Burgers, and I'm like, man, I wish Alaska had a White Castle Burgers. But it doesn't. So, oh well. And so I wake up the next day. I kid you not. So I'm going into Anchorage, driving in on 5th Street, and... and before you get in uh, past, like, Peggy's restaurant, I look, and off to the right is this, this building. You guys, you're already getting it. So there's this, there's this restaurant on the right-hand side, and it's a white building, and, it's, and it says Castle. And I am, like, I am just stoked that Alaska has a White Castle burger. And so I go pulling in to the parking lot. I get out of the car just mouth-watering. I'm excited. I open the door, I step inside, and you know that moment? You know that moment where you are not where you think you need to be? And the dude at the counter is looking at me, and I look around, and this is, this is no burger joint, this is an adult bookstore. And, and so, so he gives me this look, like, are you coming or going, dude? I'm like, I forgot my keys in the car, I, I gotta go. And so I just kind of backed out, and ah, oh, so awkward. See, so guys... You, you can know if, you're, if your pastor is ever seen going into a porn shop, he's just looking for a burger. So just, just tell yourself that. Just probably looking for a burger. I swear to you, I left as quickly as I could, got out of there. But it was that, it was that feeling like, this isn't what I was hoping for. This isn't what I was shooting for. I thought I was going to get one thing, and I got something completely different. And it's that way. I feel like that's God's message to us through this series. Is It's God saying, I've got something so much better for you. I have something better planned for you. I have this, this way of life that will give you all of the blessings that you're looking for if you would just listen to me and choose the better thing. And what we do is we tell ourselves all kinds of things. We lie to ourselves. We end up with these misconceptions about our sexuality and then we end up with something and and we're we find ourselves sitting down going how did i get here you know you ever sat down you've been you're like how did i end up in this situation and there are things and i know things have been done that you have no control over there are situations that you've been in that weren't your fault but there are situations that you've been in that were and that you made a bad choice and you said man i wish i would have listened i wish I would have done something different. And so we're going we're gonna to unpack kind of some big stuff today. And I, I hope you're kind of buckled up for some good conversations. Um, but we're going to talk about the lies that we tell ourselves. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into that. Jesus, we're grateful for you today. I just want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for a better way that you've placed before us. Father, I pray as a community we could pursue you and pursue righteousness and goodness and, Father, that you would reveal to us the blessings of obedience. God, I pray for everyone in this room today that you would allow us to focus for a few minutes, 
to just strip our minds of all of the distractions, all of the things that would take us away from really hearing you today. God, and help us to just press into your word, to hear your truth, and to be changed by it. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to open up your iPhones or Androids to the ACF Church app, you can follow along in our notes. You can also open a real Bible. We have those too uh, in the seat in front of you uh, to Luke chapter 7. And uh, I'm going to share a, a testimony on the, on the screen here just real quick. And so just uh, sit back and watch Shane's story. My whole life I, I knew I was different. I knew that I kind of didn't meet up. Um, to other people's expectations or what I thought other people's expectations were. And uh, when I started going to church, I started realizing the pastors were talking about things were an abomination, that people were an abomination. I didn't really know what that was right away. Uh, Then when I kind of started realizing that parts of my life met what they were saying, I started feeling uh, a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that I was condemned, that I was the abomination that they were talking about. Um, I do have same-sex attraction. And for, if we're to kind of use the terms, I'm homosexual. I'm not gay. If we're to look at homosexual and then look at heterosexual, they're just descriptions. And so homosexual, same-sex attraction, heterosexual, attraction to the opposite sex. I kept that a secret for a very long time. I knew that if I started sharing it, that I was in trouble. And when I did share it, I I got a lot of negative repercussions. I was kicked out of um, worship teams. I was kicked out of church camps. I was bullied by different people. And that kind of freaked me out. So I was like, I'm going to carry this to my grave. I'm not going to share it at all. I tried many different things. I tried repenting. I tried... Um, going to the altar, asking God for forgiveness over and over again, and nothing worked. Um, Through life circumstances, I met some people who had same-sex attraction as well. And it was ironic that the message I got from them was, hey, you're accepted for who you are. You're fine. Uh, Unconditional acceptance, if you will. And it was like, dang, You know, it was like I finally arrived. It was uh, freedom. And when I came out to family and friends and I told them, it was like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. I didn't have to carry around the secret anymore. It was ironic in the sense that the church was saying, um, you know, we don't want you. The hierarchy of sin, that this is the worst. And then the other side saying that we're going to love you unconditionally. Kind of should have been flipped in a way. Uh, But that's not what was happening. And so I was like, wow, I'm free. Um, that the very thing that kept me in bondage for years, enslaved to the fear, uh, was, was gone. And so I, um, it, there was parties, there were social gatherings, and I was part of it, things that I kept away from for many years, fear that people were going to find out. And so I engaged and indulged to the best of my ability fully. And so um, after a while, I started realizing that I was missing something. No matter what I did, there was always something that wasn't good enough. In Second Peter, it talks about they promised freedom, but they themselves were enslaved. I didn't know what door I had opened then. Uh, it felt like freedom, definitely. 
But over time, I realized that this whole circus had taken over and I was no longer in charge of it. And I couldn't quench the thirst that I had. I couldn't quench that gnawing um, desire that something more had to be out there. And I had slipped into a deep depression because it just wasn't meeting uh, my internal need and I didn't get it. I didn't understand what was happening. I remember one night, God ravaged my heart. And um, he showed me what my life would look like without him. And I remember feeling an intense amount of shame, not because of my same-sex attraction, my orientation, but I was ashamed of what I was doing, that I was behaving in a way that, I, that wasn't his best for me, I was it was my pride, it was putting him second and what it was doing to me and separating me further and further. And that's what I came to realize in that moment. You would think after coming into that and realizing the depth and the gravity of that, that I would immediately change my life, but it, that didn't happen. It kind of took about a year of God wooing, wooing me. I thought that immediately that, well, now that I'm God's king in my heart, this is going to go away now. Because that's what I was always told. That the moment that I asked God in my heart, and if I believed strong enough, prayed hard enough, this was going to go. Um, the choice for me is to live a gay lifestyle. That's the choice. And I choose not to do that. I have chosen to live a celibate life. Um, it's going on three years now that I've made that decision. That basically means that I am living a chaste life. And I'm choosing to live according to what I believe God's Word says for me. Um, through this whole process, um, I've learned to appreciate what redemption is. I've learned to appreciate grace in a deeper way than I've ever experienced it. In church, when we sing songs about chains being dropped, about God redeeming us, they mean something completely different than they ever have for me. Because I know what God has brought me from. That was this God's original design for me from the, get the beginning? I don't think so. And being able to grow closer to God in this, that in my own loneliness, leading me into a relationship with God is the biggest um, the most fulfilling part of it. Would you guys give Shan a hand for sharing his story? So take a deep breath, breathe. Um, Pandora's box, right? Um, we've been we've been talking about sharing, sharing his story for a little while, and and Shane. Um, is just a good friend of mine and was willing to just kind of put himself out there and share his story of redemption. And uh, that's courageous to be willing to do that, especially in our culture. Um, and so we're not going to spend the whole morning talking about that specific issue, but there are a few things, I think, to say uh, for, you, for, for us. And, but before we get there, what I want to do is I want to read a story. 
And this is in Luke 7. Luke 7, 36, it says this. Uh, Jesus has been invited to eat with these, these religious leaders. And it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Such a beautiful story. We're going to spend the whole morning unpacking that passage. There's so much truth here. Um, For Shane's story, some of you hear that and you immediately connect with him. You immediately say, I get it, Shane. I get that feeling, a feeling of being unworthy and unloved. And others of you maybe have a harder time connecting with Shane. You're like, I don't connect with that at all. Week one, we talked about the brokenness that came into humanity that first original sin of Adam, and how God created us in his image, as perfect image bearers. And then since that original sin, what that means is that all of us, we have glimmers of God's image, and yet we are distortions of God's perfect image. None of us perfectly look like God the way we were intended to. We don't bear his image the way we should. And and our goal as a church is to find our way back to our original identities back to our original humanity, that our goal is that all of us from wherever you've come from, that we find our way back home to the way God created us to be. And I feel like, I feel like as, I, as I hear Shane's story, as we share this today, as a, as a, represent, a representative of the church and as a pastor, I feel like I need to apologize to you and say, if you've experienced hatred or abuse in the name of Jesus, I'm sorry. If you or your friends have experienced abuse or discrimination in the name of Jesus, I am sorry. Because I think the church has has missed the boat on this issue. And this is such a hot topic in our culture today. And it's interesting to me that, that Jesus, he didn't excuse her behavior. He didn't just let it go, but he forgave her. He welcomed her to the table. Even though she was on her knees, she was with him and he received her. Everyone else wants him to focus on her behavior. Everyone else wants him to condemn her and say, Jesus, she needs to get cleaned up before she comes in this place. And Jesus says, no, I I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for the hurting. She is welcome here. 
He says things like, come away with me, and I'm going to show you the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's the mission of us as a church, that we want you to come, and we want to show you the unforced rhythms of God's grace, and it's going to change you from the inside out. And it's going to affect your life in every single way. And people want the church to be defined by their stance on issues of morality. They do. They just want you to, they want you to draw a hard line on issues of morality. And there are lines to be drawn. But it's funny, in this story, the only ones defined by their stance on issues of morality are the Pharisees. They say, Jesus, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her come in. Do you know what she's done? See, Jesus, he didn't come just to regulate morality. Jesus came to liberate our souls. He came to change us from the inside out. And so I just want to say, like, as I thought about this, I'm like, what are we about as a church? What is ACF Church about? First of all, I want you to know that we're about sharing Jesus with all men, women, children from every tribe, tongue, and nation. No matter where you are from, you're welcome here. That's what we're about. We're about revealing pieces of beauty in a broken humanity. You guys, we're all broken, distorted images of God. And we're about showing the beauty within that and revealing more and more beauty through our broken situations. We're about being changed by the love of Christ and challenging each other that now that Christ is within you, how are you reflecting that to the world? Is he changing you? Or are you the same person you were when you walked in? We're about being patient, kind, not envious or boasting, not arrogant or rude or insisting on our own way or irritable or resentful or rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things and enduring all things. We are not going to give up on you because Jesus never gave up on us. Amen? This is what the church is for. This is what the church is about. And in this story, there's three people. Three types of people. There's Jesus, there's the Pharisees, and then there's the prostitute. And so the question is, which one are you? Whenever we read a story like this, we've got to identify with somebody. Which one of those are you? And I'll help you out. You're not Jesus, right? (laughs) So you can start there. I know we want to relate to Jesus. You're not Jesus. Which one are you? You've got the prostitute and you've got the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they recline at the table in comfort while this prostitute comes in actively seeking forgiveness. The Pharisees, they see themselves as better than others while this prostitute is just overwhelmed with mercy. The Pharisee cries out for judgment. The prostitute cries out for grace. The Pharisee thinks that Jesus should be here for the cleaned up and the the, the prostitute's on her knees hoping and praying that Jesus has come for the jacked up and the messed up. She's just hoping beyond hope that Jesus is here for her. Which one are you? Which person are you? I don't think we can actually go anywhere in this conversation. I don't think we can go anywhere internally until we see ourselves as the prostitute. We are the prostitute. It's who we are. And this is hard. This is a hard truth, depending on where you come from. Some of you immediately relate to the prostitute. Some of you hear the story of the prostitute, and you say, yes, that's, that's who I am. I get that. I connect with that immediately. Others of you say, no, that's not who I am. I don't get that. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very sinful, 1 being not that sinful, I'm kind of like a one point. Two, five. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good here, Brian, on this scale. And it's unfortunate that we do that, that we place our sinfulness and other people's sinfulness on this 
the scale because no matter where you're at on the scale, you are equally disqualified from eternity with Jesus. On your own, you can't, you can't do it. It's hard. It's hard to relate to the prostitute. And when you do, there's a couple responses. We're just, we're, pr- we're proud people. And when we get proud, either we end up with self-righteousness or self-hatred. You guys have met proud people. Maybe you are a proud person. Either you're self-righteous or you have self-hatred, neither of which glorify God. When it comes to looking at your sin, if you're self-righteous and you're like, I'm like a 1.25, I'm just not that bad. It doesn't honor God when you don't see your sin for what it is. Just as much as if you hate yourself, you're like, yeah, I am just the lowly of the low. I'm worthless. I can't stand myself for what I've done. I don't think that honors God. We need to have a right understanding of who we are before God. Theologians call this the lostness of mankind. We just need to understand, aside from Christ, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, if you can set Christ aside for a moment and just see yourself for who you are, you are lost and broken. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. We are all on the same playing field together without Christ. That's where it begins. It, this, is, this is the story of Israel. Israel is the story of God providing, God showing people something so much better, giving them everything that they need, and yet they choose something lesser. They choose the wrong way. They choose their own path. We do this too. We choose our own path. God has something much greater for us, and we've chosen our own way. There's this other passage in the book of Judges, I think, that really, really kind of hits home for me. Judges 2.16. It says, then the Lord raised up judges. And these aren't like people with a gavel. These are, these are leaders to come in and help lead his people through their messed up situations who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord and they did not do so. It's pretty graphic language. They hoard after other gods. They became idolaters. You, you know, you don't, need to, you don't need a piece of wood to become an idolater. You don't need to carve something else to become an idolater. Modern day idolatry is just simply worship of self for most of us. It's just we worship ourselves. We think my way is better. What can I do to, to please myself? How can I use other people to get ahead of the game? How can I manipulate others to get ahead to help myself? It's just worship of us. Israel did the same thing. Baseline, we are the prostitute. We are the prostitute. It's a hard truth. <laughs> you're like, if you're new today, you're like, man... Visit a new church. The pastor called me a prostitute. That's awesome. Thank you so much. It's a hard truth. There's peace to be had, though. We can go somewhere from there. If you're self-righteous and you're the Pharisee, there's really, not, there's really nowhere to go. This, this story doesn't strike you. It just seems odd to you. It doesn't change your heart. Here's some lies that we tell ourselves about sex. The first lie is this. I am unfixable. I'm just unfixable. We start with this place. We go, okay, I am the prostitute. I've given myself to other things. I have worshiped myself, felt like I have the best way out there. And then we think, well, then I can't be fixed. I don't know. Where do I go from here? We've got this story of mistakes. 
And because sexual sin has such great consequences, we can feel like we, we are unfixable. It's unrepairable. Verse 38 says this, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So can you just imagine this situation? This woman is in this kind of religious community and she's known as a sinful woman. Who wants that as your reputation? Oh, that's Brian. He's a sinful guy. That's, that's kind of what he's known for. He's just kind of jacked up. That's, that's what he's known for. So this woman... She's known as this sinful woman. She hears about Jesus. He's, he's at, in this house of the religious leaders. Can you imagine the guts that it took to get out of bed that day, to get your shoes on, to go walking into this house, kind of busting into their party uninvited? Can you just imagine her walking in the door just trembling, shaking, scared, just dirty? Can you imagine? She's probably not well kept. She's probably not been taken care of. She walks into the house. She sees Jesus. And all, all she can do is just go to his feet. She knows who she is. She knows what she's known for. Can you imagine the looks that she's getting in the room? Like, like what is she doing here? Who invited her? She brings this oil. And this oil would have probably been used for her business. It probably would have been used with her clients to make money as a prostitute. It would have been very valuable. It was a, it was a tool of her trade. She comes to the feet of Jesus with this priceless oil and just starts rubbing it on Jesus' feet. And Jesus' feet are dirty, which is interesting to me because it would have been customary in that day for a guest to come into a house. You would have this basin of water and you would help them wash their feet, especially an honored guest. Their feet would have been nasty with these open-toed sandals just covered in dirt and grime from all the animals and all the dust. And his feet aren't clean. These Pharisees, they haven't honored him like an honored guest should be. His feet are dirty. She sees this. She goes down on her knees. She's got her hair. That's all she's got. She's got this oil. And she she just starts rubbing this mess on on his feet, weeping, wetting his feet with her tears. Can you imagine this situation? She generously pours out this oil. It's all she has. And she serves the Son of Man. She gets out of her situation. You know, you might feel unfixable today, but I want to ask you, what are you doing to get out of your situation? She didn't just wait at her home and say, I wish Jesus would come busting into my front door and save me. I wish he would come here and heal me and forgive me and help change my life. Some of you are here today in this same way. You, just, you decided to walk in these doors and you're, you're scared to be here because you're around a bunch of people that maybe you think are better than you. You're like, I don't know if I'm welcome here. I don't know if I should be here. I feel kind of unfixable. This woman, she gets out of her situation. Some of you guys need to get out of your situation. Sure, you need to pray that God would change you, that he would heal you, that he would change your desires. But what are you choosing? Are you choosing something better in your situation? She had to feel unfixable in this nasty, broken scene on the floor. She's crying like big, nasty, ugly cry, you know? Just weeping on his feet. She had to feel overcome by her unworthiness and her sin. Have you ever weeped over your sin? Have you ever shed one tear for your sin? This woman knows how to do that. She's aware of her sinfulness and she's weeping. 
there's a place for that. There's a place. I've seen that in my life. I'm not a big crier. I don't cry a lot. But I've had moments where I've felt such conviction for the choices that I've made that I've been weeping before God. And there is a place for that. And there is a work that happens in your heart through those tears that wouldn't otherwise happen by choking it back and being strong because you're not strong. Once you acknowledge your ability, inability to fix yourself, your inability to do it on your own, you provide an opportunity for God to work in you. If Jesus can love a prostitute, he can love you. If Jesus can love a prostitute, he can love you. Number two, the next feeling is, I'm unwelcome. Maybe you feel unwelcome. You're here at church today. You're like, I don't know if I should be here. I don't know. I kind of got some funny looks when I walked in the room. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. If Jesus would have known. See, the religious, they don't want to be touched by the dirty. They don't want the filth of the world getting on them. They're like, why would Jesus want this? If he knew who she was, he'd never let her do this. They're questioning him as a prophet. They're questioning his authority. They're questioning all of what he stands for. This woman walks in. You can imagine the looks, feeling unwelcome. You know, they didn't want her there. We often do this to ourselves. We choose isolation. When we're sick, we choose isolation. We think, I don't want you to catch what I got. Or we think, I don't want you to see me this way. I know that I'm sick. I'm going to isolate myself. And, and maybe it's that we choose isolation, but... The best place for you if you're sick is around a bunch of people that got what you got, right? This church, if you look at it in terms of that, it's a nasty place to be, you know? This is like, this is, there is stuff growing in this church, and there is sin in this church, and there are messed up people in this church, and I don't think people see it that way, that when you are sick, when you know that you're sick, you should be around other people who got what you got. We understand you. We get you. I'm glad that you're here. If you have this story, this is the place to be is around people that are sick. And one of the ways that people talk about the church oftentimes is like it's like a hospital, right? Like, oh yeah, the church, it's like a, it's like a hospital, but it's really more than a hospital because a hospital is a place where you take people and professionals, they fix you up and then they send you back out, you know? That's not what the church is. This is the community of God, and the church isn't just a hospital. It's a community of practitioners administrating the healing gospel message of Jesus. That's, you guys are all practitioners. You guys are all here to administer the healing gospel message of Jesus. Once it's in your heart, it's time to spread it around. Spread around the healing. If you've been healed by Jesus, then you couldn't stand to see somebody walk in these doors or somebody in your life not be healed by Jesus. You want to see them get better, right? You want to see them healed. And so that's our job as administers of the gospel, to, 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 to be healers, little h. Jesus, he's the big healer, the big h. We're, we're little healers, you know, like the little h. We're here to share the gospel message with people. But they feel unwelcome. They don't know if they, wanna, if they should be here. The person next to you right now in the same row of you, there might be somebody there that, that's saying, I don't know if I'm welcome here. Are you making them feel welcome? Do they know that this is a place for them? 
Or maybe you're one of the people making people feel unwelcome. Maybe you're the one reclining at the table, giving the stink eye. You know, as somebody walks in the door, you're like, who invited her? What is she doing here? You know? That's, that's how the religious work is. They start to create this elite crowd. Like, this is the place for the fixed up, you know? It's not the place for the jacked up. It's the place for the fixed up, you know? Maybe you're thinking, this woman, she should have been, she should have been a little more honoring of the home. She should have been a little more dignified. Maybe she should have cleaned herself up a little better, you know? At least gotten a sponge instead of using her hair. This is a nasty situation, you know? And I don't know if you're here today and in the church, this is what you do is you come in and you, you start to pick apart people. You pick apart the system. You pick apart the church and you say, this should be that way. This should be this way. Instead of loving people for where they are in the moment. Religious people, they always want you to change your actions and they are not as concerned with your heart. Jesus, all he cares about in this moment is this woman's heart. He doesn't care. This is an ugly, broken situation. Just wants her heart. See, we're all sick and we can't heal ourselves. We can't do anything to make ourselves acceptable to God. And we feel unwelcome. But you need to know if Jesus can love the prostitute, he can love you. Does that hit you yet? Does that strike you? If Jesus can love the prostitute, he can love me. It's a powerful thing. Lie number three, I'm I'm unusable. God, do you see what I've done? Do you see what I've been through? Do you see the mistakes I've made? Because of that, I'm just unusable. God, you couldn't possibly use a person like me. You see, all of us are either coming into, stepping out of, or one step away from sexual wreckage. Do you know that? You're either coming into it, stepping out of, or one step away from sexual wreckage. We've all got a story. Maybe you're like, yeah, Brian, I don't relate to much of this stuff because I haven't messed up in this area in in a while, which is good. I'm I'm glad for you, but you're one decision away from messing this all up, which I think in a healthy way should kind of scare us a little bit. Like, wow, we should really respect our sexuality and honor that this is a really big deal. Because because it's such such a big deal, we can feel un- Usable, Like, I don't know how I could possibly be used with what I've done or even what I'm capable of. And some of us, we even choose to be useless. Some of us choose uselessness. We come in here so obsessed with ourselves and with our own situations that we are actually useless for the kingdom. And, and if the enemy can keep your eyes on yourself, he effectively takes you out of the game. If he can keep you obsessed with your mistakes, obsessed with what you've done, or what you could possibly do, then he takes you out of the game. And maybe you're the kind of person, you're like, well, once I fix this area of my life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. Like, God, I know you've got all these things for me, but once I, once I get this all fixed up, God, then I'm going to be used by you. Uh, there's, a, there's a pastor, his name's Tim Keller, and I love this quote that I found. It says this, the Bible's purpose is not so much to show you how to live a good life, The Bible's purpose is to show you how God's grace breaks into your life against your will and saves you from the sin and brokenness that otherwise you would never be able to overcome. It's not so much about you just getting better. It's more about God's grace being elevated through somebody who could never fix themselves. 
who could never be used on their own, who in your sinfulness would be useful or useless for the kingdom, but because of Christ, you can be so useful for the kingdom. And I was just, I was just looking this week at the people that God chooses to use in Scripture, and it's just crazy to me. This guy, King David, chops the head off a giant. You guys know that story, right? King David, amazing leader, respected and honored for his leadership, also commits adultery, murders a man, lies all the time. This is who God chooses to use. Jonah. Jonah gets sent to the city of Nineveh, and he, he, he preaches this sermon, and it, it saves the entire city through God. And yet, when God calls him, he runs to this city called Tarshish, which would be like God calling you to Alaska, and you run to Hawaii. And, and this is the man that God uses to save this whole city. Moses leads God, leads people towards, towards God's promised land, He's also a murderer. Peter preached at Pentecost, saw thousands of people be saved. He was a leader in the movement of the church, and he also denies Jesus three times before his crucifixion. Rahab, the prostitute, married Solomon, gave birth to Boaz, the redeemer of Ruth. We love that story. We love that story. Judah, this, this is a crazy one. Judah had a daughter-in-law, Tamar, who dressed as a prostitute so her father-in-law would sleep with her. This is like Grey's Anatomy stuff. It's crazy. He sees this, this like sexy prostitute at the city gate, sleep with, sleeps with her. She gets pregnant with twins, Perez and Zerah. And I found this, this was interesting to me this week. Matthew 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah and Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. So God hand selects Perez, the illegitimate son from an illicit affair between a father-in-law and daughter-in-law dressed as a prostitute to be part of his plan to redeem the world. Is that crazy or what? That's crazy to me that the people that God chooses to use and you feel unusable. What do you see in your family tree? Jesus sees prostitutes, liars, cheats, murderers. That's who he chooses to use to redeem the world. And as we close, Jesus, Jesus, she shares this story. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. You see like the sarcasm in Jesus's voice. You judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Who are you? Are you the Pharisee or the prostitute? This woman comes in and she is overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus because he's given her so much you have something to learn from this prostitute. We all do. We all have something to learn from her. She loves him and she knows how to appreciate him because she has been forgiven so much. Verse 47 says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, Jesus is acknowledging her sinfulness, her sins are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who forgive, is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go, go in peace. He who forgives, who's been forgiven little, loves little. But who's been forgiven much, loves much. This is what I want you guys to take with you today. Sex Lies, this whole series, has been about acknowledging the misconceptions and lies that are in our lives. Just getting honest with ourselves about all of the brokenness within us and coming to the feet of Jesus in all of our mess. It's, it's about pressing into the messiness of God and knowing that we have been forgiven so much. And because of that forgiveness, we can love God so much. There are two people in church today. There are two kinds of people that can walk out of these doors. One person walks in here and they're like, yeah, church is okay. Maybe it's a little long, you know. Maybe it's a little loud. Maybe the guy up front needs to get a haircut. When are they going to bring back the real senior pastor, you know? And then there's another person that's going to walk out of these, these doors with tears in their eyes. I hear about it every week. There are people that are moved by the gospel message of Jesus. We preach it every week. You hear the story of the grace of God. How could you not be changed by it? How could you be obsessed with the small things when God is here? Two kinds of people. And I'm not saying you got to cry to be spiritual. I'm not saying that there's everything in tears, but there is a place for that. And maybe today is your day to just weep before Jesus and to be honest, maybe for the first time about your brokenness. That is so good. And, and in that, from that place, you will be so grateful. You will be so grateful. You will walk out of these doors thinking about nothing but the saving grace of Christ. Just amazing. Here's the difference between the two. One of these people is acutely aware of their unpayable debt to God. The other is not. When you are acutely aware of your unpayable debt to God and you hear about the grace of Jesus, it changes you. It's emotional. It's powerful. So here's my assignment to you this week. As we walk into this week of thanks, would you stop for five minutes as you wake up, before you open your eyes, before you get out of bed and go on to the craziness that is your life, would you spend five minutes walking through your debt ledger? I don't think we do this enough. I don't think we think about our debt to God. Jesus talks about the two debtors. Well, we have a long list. And if you don't have that long of a list, then, then go home tonight, get your computer out, and I want you to go way back in your life. And I want you to type out some of the people that you have wronged. Think about the mistakes that you have made. Spend some time. This is really healthy. I know it sounds really depressing, but this is really good to just consider your life, consider the mistakes you made. Not just the things that you have done that are wrong, but the things that you haven't done that you should be doing. Think of the ways that you obsess about yourself, the person in your life right now that God has right next to you that you're ignoring because you're so obsessed with your iPhone or with your job or with your kids or whatever it may be. Sins of omission, sins of commission. We all, are, we are broken people. It's a long list. Five minutes is not long enough. Spend 10 minutes. But do that before you get out of bed. And what I'm going to tell you is it's going to change your day. Because once you do that, I want you to imagine Jesus with blood-stained hands taking your ledger and tearing it up. 
And, and it's going to change you. It's going to affect you from the inside out. It's going to make you more grateful for your job that is just driving you nuts. It's going to make you grateful for your kids. You know, it's going to make you grateful for your husband. The little bit of sunlight that we're getting this time of year, you're going to be like, yes, five minutes of sunlight. I loved it. You know, it's going to make you grateful for things. It's going to change your worship. When you come here Sunday morning like this, when you've stopped to consider your ledger, your debt load without Christ, and you come in to worship, you know what matters? Is that you just praise him. You just thank him for all that he's done for you. It's no longer, man, are we done yet? Hands in the pockets. This isn't how someone who's acutely aware of their debt load worships. If Jesus can love the prostitute, he can love you. What you guys do with that love will be up to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful for you today. Father, we come to you with blood-stained hands. The sin is on us, Father. We recognize that we are incapable of saving ourselves, that we are incapable of becoming right before a holy God on our own. And God, our list is long in the ways, Father, that we have not lived up to the good, the good things that you've called us to. Father, would you allow us to press in today in worship? Allow us to be a people of gratitude, Father, people who love much because we have been forgiven much. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your peace. I pray we'd be ministers of the gospel, practitioners of the healing message of Jesus into the world as we leave this place. We pray it in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.